0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 10, starting from verse 22. Now, it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. This section is a further discussion with the unbelieving Jews occurred at the Feast of Dedication. And this was done in the winter time. The Feast of Dedication is also known as the Feast of Lights, Eid al-Anwar, that's called Hanukkah. And was instituted by Judas Maccabees. You can read about these feast in the two books of Maccabees, in the uh, canonical books that omitted by the Protestant, first and second Maccabees, in commemoration of his purifi- purifying the temple after it had been defiled by Antiochus Epiphanius and then rededicated the temple to the service of God. That's why this feast is called the Feast of Dedication. Verse 23, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Jesus was walking in a porch of the temple called Solomon's porch. This was not part of the actual temple itself but it was a large covered area in the temple grounds and later the early church often used this part for meeting and teaching as we read in acts chapter 3 verse 11 and in acts chapter 5 verse 12. and this demonstrates that this porch was large enough area to accommodate very large crowds where everyone could yet hear the one who is speaking. So although it's a large area, but anybody preaches or speaks, everybody can hear him. Verse 24. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Actually, the Lord Jesus Christ, several times, he said it in plain terms that he is the Messiah. Like in John chapter 4, he said it to the Samaritan woman. But also, frequently, he delivered this truth so openly to them that he came from heaven he is the Messiah, that he is the one sent by the Father to the world, that all men should be saved by believing in him. He made it plainly that he is the Son of God and one with the Father, but but their perception was distorted. In response to this, they accused him of blasphemy, because they told him, "You, while you are human being, you made yourself God." So now they are telling him, "Why you put ourselves in doubt? If you are Christ, tell us plainly." He said it several times. So why he why now they wanted again asked him again to declare it that he is a Messiah, that they may accuse him of rebel and traitor to the Roman uh, authorities, and to accuse him as a blasphemer in order to find accusation to kill him and to get rid of him. So, they desire to appear as individuals who are seeking knowledge, but the real intention they want to accuse him with something that they may present him to the Roman uh, authorities to kill him and to get rid of him. Other commentators find this question was a true reflection of their inner conflict. Sometimes they know from his work that he is a Messiah, but the Pharisees and the religious teachers. Tell them he is not, so there was inner <coughs> conflict inside their heart. They sensed his holiness, perceived through his deeds, and they recognized his stature. But they feared for their position, because the religious leaders threatened, if anyone confessed that he is the Christ, he will be kicked out of the temple. Like the parents of the man who was born blind in chapter 9 they refused to confess that he is Christ because they feared for their position their corrupt souls preventing them from accepting him as the savior verse 25 Jesus answered them I told you and you do not believe so I told you plainly before, but you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. So here, as in John chapter 8 verse 25, where it was a similar question to Christ, similar direct question, but the Lord answered in John 8 and in here in John 10, indirectly. It couldn't be otherwise. Because their misconception of the messianic word had made the very word Messiah an impossible one for him to utter to them. To tell him I am a, the Messiah, actually it was impossible for him to say it to them. Because in their mind the Messiah should be a temporal king. A temporal king who will restore to them the earthly kingdom of David. And if Jesus said that he is the Messiah, according to their understanding, that he is an earthly king, he came to restore the kingdom to David, then he is contradicting the essential truth, which is, he is a heavenly king, came to establish the kingdom of God on earth. That's why he refused to answer them plainly. But he referred them to his earlier words, I told you before, and to his deeds in proof of what he is. He is the true Son of God. But to those who have simple heart, And inquired to know the truth, like the Samaritan woman, like the man who was born blind, the Lord used plain words, saying directly, I am the Messiah, as he said to the Samaritan woman, and as he said to the man who was born blind. But to these unbelieving Jews, again and again he told them the same truth, Uh, but indirectly by referring them to his deeds and to the witness of others about him. Because the actual truth never crossed uh, into their hearts. When he told them, I am the Messiah, I am one with the Father, They took stone to stone him and to put him to death. So he told them, I am the light of the world, I am the son of God, I am the good shepherd, I have come to save the world, I have come to give life to the world, I have come to give liberty to the world, I have come to redeem everybody. All these words actually is a proof that he is the Messiah without using the word Messiah because for them Messiah is an earthly king. Also, he told them he must die and rise again. He is the absolute master of his life and of his death. Nobody has authority over his life and over his death, but he has authority over his life. He will lay down his soul by himself and he will take it up again. No human being can claim this except God. So as if he was telling them, have you not noticed my all knowledge in searching and discovering the very secrets of heart? So I am the, I have omniscience. Have you not seen my omnipotence, the, the power, all powerful in the miracles which I wrote? Have not all these been sufficient to convince you? But unfortunately, yet you do not believe until now. That's why in verse 26 he told them, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. Now, by refusing to believe in him and to follow his doctrine, By their own willful blindness, they choose to be blind, then they are not of his sheep, as he told them. All these things can tell you that I am the Messiah, but you turn a blind eye to my works, to my deeds, to my knowledge, to the witness of the Father, to the witness of the prophets, to the witness of John the Baptist, you turn a blind eye because you are not of my sheep. Verse 27 My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice but you don't hear, you don't listen. They follow me but you neither followed me or acknowledged me. So Christ here is saying that his sheep hear his voice and follow him. So let us ask ourselves as an application, do we cling closely to this heavenly shepherd? Do we follow him by our faith and our lives? Do we know him and hear his voice? Or just hear about him? Do we fly from strangers? Do we flee from strangers? from the world, from the lust of the flesh, and from the devil? If so, then we are his sheep indeed. If we persevere, he will bring us, in spite of the world, and the flesh, and the devil, to the pastures of eternal life. As he said in verse 28, And I will give them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. So for those who hear his voice, those who follow him in his footsteps, then in spite of all the temptation around us, the world, the flesh, the devil, he will take us into the pasture of eternal life. But if we run away from our shepherd to follow strangers, then we must expect to fall a prey or a victim to the wolf. That's why he said, they will never perish. So here actually the word perish indicates fearsome eternal destruction. He's speaking about the eternal destruction and the eternal damnation. And when he said, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. The word snatch indicates a violent action using against a person. So, no one can protect us from such violence except the powerful hand of God that holds and shields us. If we are in His hand, nobody can snatch us from His hand. Because <coughs> the Lord Jesus Christ provides protection For those who believe in him are faithful to him and follow him. Notice that the Lord Jesus Christ said, I give them eternal life in the present tense, not in the future. He did not say, I will give them. He said, I give them eternal life. Because we start the eternal life here on earth. When we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is in your heart. So this gift is present and continuous to eternity. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me, has given this sheep to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. God the Father is more powerful powerful than all the united energies of men and demons. If we put all the energy and the power of men and demons together, God is powerful than all these united energies. So we are protected by the Holy Trinity, by God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He who loves God must be happy and he who fears God and walks in the fear of God should not fear anything else. He is in the protection of the Holy Trinity. The Lord Jesus Christ say again, no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. So in this manner he indicated that his hand and the hand of the father are one, similar in the terms of power, and in essence, for they are the same. Nobody can snatch us from the hand of the Son, and nobody can snatch us from the hand of the Father. Meaning that the hand of the Father in its power is similar to the hand of the Son in its power, because Father and the Son are one in essence. That's why in verse 30 he said, I and my Father are one. I and my father are one. He did not say, I and my father are identical, but I and my father are one to emphasize their unity, their oneness. They are one in essence. Yes, they are distinguished, but they are one. So this indicates a union of love and work, as well as union in essence. Jesus is claiming unity with God in a way other people do not have. Nobody, no human being can say, I and the Father are one. Nobody can say this. So he is claiming deity. He is claiming that he is God. He is God indeed. And the unity of the most holy trinity cannot be divided. Yes, they are distinguished into three divine persons, but they are one. When he said, I and my father, means the Holy Trinity, the creator of all things, the judge of all men, the father of the spirit, here we speak about the father, the father of the spirit of all flesh are one. So Jesus with the Father, the Father who is the creator of all things, the judge of all men, the Father of the Spirit of all flesh are one. One in essence, one in all the attributes of Godhead, one in all the operations of these attributes. So it is very evident that the Jews understood that he is speaking about his divinity. That's why in verse 31, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. So now plainly he said to them, I am God, I am the Messiah. In the beginning he told them, if you are the Messiah, tell us why you keep us in doubt. He told them. And what's the reaction? They took stones to kill him. St. Augustine said, Listen to the Son himself, I and the Father are one. He did not say, I am the Father, or I and the Father are one person. But when he says, I and the Father are one, notice the two words, we are and one. I and the Father we, so we are one. For if they are one, then they are not diverse. And if we are, then there is both a Father and a Son. So, St. Augustine is emphasizing the Trinity. Father is different than the Son. is different than the Holy Spirit. They are distinguished three different persons. But these three different persons are one in essence. Because sometimes, some of us believe that the Father is the Son, is the Holy Spirit. This is the heresy of Sibelius, and the Church excommunicated him. Because the Father is not the Son, is not the Holy Spirit. But the three persons are one. One in essence. St. Augustine continues and says, The Jews understood well enough what the Arians, the followers of Arius, uh, did not understand. The Jews understood from the word of Christ that he is divine. Uh, That's why they took stones to kill him. But Arius and his followers, they could not understand this verse that Jesus is true God and he is divine. And he is one in essence with the eternal Father. So the Jews, in opposition to our Savior's doctrine, took up stones to kill him in order that he might preach no more to them that he is divine. How? You make yourself God. That's blasphemy. You. you are a human being. And the word took up stone again. The word again because they had attempted to do this before as we read in John chapter 8 verse 59. So this was not the first time they wanted to stone him. But it seems they were prevented from doing this now. Either by divine power prevented them from stoning him. Because as we read in verse 32, the Lord Jesus responded and talked to them. Verse 32, Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? When he said, from my Father, again, to emphasize that he is divine, he and the Father are one. So, he responded by calling attention again to his works, to his miracle. He had done many. Obviously, uh, the power had come to him because he is one with the Father. So, he asked which one of them was their justification for stoning him? So, verse 33, the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. Definitely, if Jesus is a man and we are making him God, then we are blasphemers. Jesus is not a man who made himself God, but Jesus is God who became man. Big difference between this and that. So, definitely the Lord Jesus Christ, he knew they were not stoning him for the miracles. But his intent by this question, for which work you are stoning me, to point out that in determining to stone him, they were again overlooking his miracles that proves his divinity. If you look at my miracles, you would know that I am divine, because nobody can do such miracles. No matter how many miracles he did proving that he is God, they were determined to find fault with him. They ignored the evidence and attacked anything that seemed to imply that he was from God. But if the evidence was valid, then he was from God, and there was no ground to attack him. They ought instead to have accepted that he is God and followed him. The evidence is so clear, but they turned a blind eye. That's why he called attention, their attention again, to his miracle and asked them, which of them was grounds of killing me. And he said, these miracles are from the Father. So he intended to confirm that he and the Father work together. He and the Father are one. They responded that it was not his good works that led them to seek to kill him. But the fact he claimed to be God, though he was a man. But not again that the Jews here recognized Jesus' statement as a claim to Divinity, that he is divine. When he told them, I and the Father are one, they understood it that he is claiming divinity, which Arius and his followers could not understand. And what irritated them so much that they understood him as a speaking of unity in essence with the Father. Therefore, they said, here to him, you make yourself a God, which he understood, not in a figurative way, not in a metaphorical way, not in improper sense, but in most literal meaning of the term that he is God. And here he sees a contradiction. He told him, if you are the Messiah, tell us. And when he told them, they took stone to stone him. Then the Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 34, He replied, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. The word the law here referring to the Old Testament in general. Sometimes the word the law refers to the five books of Moses or to the Old Testament in general. So this verse... Is in the book of Psalms, not in the five books of Moses, Psalm 82, verse 6, uh, in which men were called gods, gods with a small g. In this passage, the psalmist was speaking to the judge of Israel and calling them gods with a small g. Why they were called gods because they were representative of God, acting in God's place for people, to judge the people. So, they are spoken of as gods, because they are acting in the place of God, judging people. And the word here does not, of course, mean they are divine. No, they are representative of God. That's why we say small g, not capital G. That's why the psalmist continues and says, But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. So, I called you gods because you are representative of God, but you are not divine. You shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Psalm 82. So the Lord Jesus Christ appealed to this passage in the book of Psalms. In, in their Old Testament, which they themselves accepted as authority. They accept the book of Psalms as a canonical book. Then he argued in verse 36, Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified, sanctified means consecrated for a certain mission, which is salvation of the world, and sent into the world. You are telling him you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God. So the argument here, if the scripture spoke about the judges of Israel who are human beings as gods, how could you object if I say I am the son of God and I have the evidence that God the Father has sent me to the world, in the transfiguration and in the baptism, God the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The prophecies testified about me. The John the Baptist testified about me. My words testified about me. My words testified about me. How can you deny all this evidence? and say to me, I am blaspheming when I tell you the absolute truth that I am the Son of God. Verse 30, uh, is 35 Again, I will go back to 35. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be uh, Cannot be broken. So the Lord is saying, if He called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and entrusted them to be judges of Israel, just because the word of God came to them, they are gods and the Scripture cannot be broken. For me, the word of God did not come to me because I am the word of God. I am the Word of God myself. So, if the Scripture so spoke, how could you object? And the Scripture cannot be broken. Jesus is affirming, as he has in past reference to sacred Scripture. The Scripture consists of very words of God. The Scripture are the breath of God, Word of God. And it's teaching is true because God himself, he spoke this word. And the scripture is a reliable testimony which cannot be ignored or set aside. So, whether he is a blasphemer or not depends upon whether he represents God or not. Or to prove his appeals again to works then if there is evidence that he is the Word of God, he is the son of God, then he is not a blasphemer. So so he is asking him, are my works the work of the father or not? If my works are the work of the father, then I'm not blaspheming. But if my works are not the work of the Father, then I am blaspheming. If the people have trouble believing my claim, you need actually to accept the conclusion by my works and by the testimony of the prophets, the Father, and John the Baptist. So if they looked at all this evidence, then He is truly from God. He is the son of God. There was no other explanation for his miracles. No other explanation. Then they surely had no ground therefore to kill him. For his very miracles proved God was working these miracles through him. The work of Jesus are enough to manifest and indicate and declare to the people that his mission in the eyes of, uh, of the people, that he is God, the Son of God who is sent to the world to save the people, and to support his works are support to his claim of divinity. He has shown absolute power over creation and that he can suspend the law of nature. God has power over death, Jesus power over death, over illness, over nature and over demons. No human being has power over these things. Nature, death, illness and demons. So his works give testimony to his true nature. Then to kill him means they are against God the Father. And he expressed his relationship with God by saying the Father was within him and he is in the Father. When he said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And all these words implies divinity. Though not so directly as in verse 30 when he said, I and the Father are one. So, In verse 37, he said, if I don't do the works of my father, do not believe me. Examine my work. If my work are not the work of the father, don't believe me. But as I've shown you, I have authority over nature. I can suspend the law of nature. Illness, death, and demons. These are the works of the father. But if I do, if I do the works of the father, Though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And again, he made it very clearly. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Because I am the Father. The Jews could not reply his argument. That's why they took a stone to kill him. As we read in verse 39, Therefore, they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. When they cannot answer or reply to his argument, that's where the violence is. Like terrorists, when they cannot reply to any evidence, they start to kill the Christian. The same attitude here, they couldn't reply to his argument, except by stones. The evidence of the truth could not be resisted. That's why they wanted to destroy him who said the truth. But he escaped out of their hand. The Bible, or St. John, did not explain to us how he escaped their hand. Uh, So maybe he just walked and ran away from among them. While while they were plotting how to arrest him, he just (coughs) passed out of the temple. The same verse exactly we read it in John 8, 59. He wanted to stone him and he escaped out of their hand. Or maybe in a miraculous way he made himself invisible or he hindered them by a divine power from Uh, arresting him. Verse 40 And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first and there he stayed. Perhaps the Lord Jesus Christ realized that he had now pushed the conflict as far as it could go without killing him but his time to die had not yet come for that that's why he went for a time east of the jordan beyond the jordan in the east side of the jordan to the place where some time earlier john had been baptized so he went to the place where john was baptized Because there, in the east of Jordan, beyond the Jordan, the people were more receptive. So he had one final period of safety before returning back to Jerusalem for the final confrontation that led to his death and his crucifixion. Verse 41. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign." But all things that John spoke about this man was, were true. Many, many of us when we hear about a saint, we ask what are his miracles? We connect saints with miracles. But here in verse 41 John the Baptist performed no sign; He performed no miracle. So miracles are not evidence of sainthood. The Lord said in Matthew chapter 7, many people will say to him, in your name we cast out demons, in your name we heal the sick, but he will tell them, depart from me evil doers, I do not know you. What is evidence of sainthood is bearing the fruit of the Spirit, not doing miracles. And I hope this will be clear in our mind. Many people who are performing miracles, even casting out demons, the Lord will tell them, I do not know you. John the Baptist, the greatest among those who born of women, performed no miracles. <coughs> but he is the greatest among those born of women. There is no relationship between miracles and saints. I hope this will be clear in your mind. John the Baptist's work of preparation, preparing the people for the Messiah, until now, even after his martyrdom, is producing results. The people refer to the word of John the Baptist. The crowd who accepted his message are now following Jesus Christ. They believed the testimony of John the Baptist about Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, as he said in John chapter 1 verse 34. So they concluded that what John had said about Jesus is (coughs) true and they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And again note that John the Baptist did no miracles. None were ever recorded and here, we are told directly that he did not do any miracle. But the people accepted John the Baptist as a prophet because of his life, because he bore the fruit of the Spirit in his life. That's why verse 42, and many believed in him in Jesus there. Uh, because of the testimony of John the Baptist, whom they knew to be a good and a wise man, and a prophet of the Lord, and they knew he could neither deceive nor uh, be deceived about the Messiah. That's why they trusted him, trusted John the Baptist. And the testimony of John the Baptist, besides the miracle of Jesus Christ, this made them believe that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Son of God. They fully proved that all that John had said of this man, Jesus, was true. But the scribes and Pharisees, with all their science and their knowledge, could not draw a conclusion so just like these simple people beyond the Jordan. This concludes actually chapter 10 from the Gospel of St. John. Glory to God forever and ever. Amen.